0: Radio Drome Radio Drome is back, and so is Mr. Jones. Horse sh- <laughs> <laughs> You guys missed what we were talking about beforehand. That's actually funny if you if you hear it. But and you can hear Suede Alex, the Marquis de Suede laughing back there. Yes. Th- that's it, huh? Just yes. Okay, fine.
1: Yes, you can hear me.
0: Before we get into tonight's topic, which will take you back to the era of 70s Bush and Clint Eastwood pre-insanity, go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift. And maybe one of the DVDs you'll get will take you back to 70s Bush. We don't know. And that's what tonight's topic is going to be. Not 70s Bush, before I'm Brad ahead. gets smart
2: An entire hour just talking about 70s vagina.
0: We could probably actually pull that off, but we're actually just going to talk about the 1970s in general when it comes to film. I know you love the 70s in film as much as I do. Why? Uh Why does the 1970s, why is it an era of film that, that grabbed you?
2: Me personally, of course it all has to do with the kinds of movies I like, and and you know the kinds of movies I like, really gritty, sleazy stuff like that, and to me the best of that kind of thing was done in the 70s and in the early 80s, but also the 70s also has, it, it has that idea about it in the sense of more, people think of the 70s in terms of filmmaking as having a lot more artistic freedom in terms of the people who were making them, not saying that That never happened again later on in any decade. But people really do coin that with the 70s. They think of those two together with the new Hollywood movement, with the rise of people like Coppola, Scorsese, Spielberg, William Friedkin, all of these guys, the new Hollywood movement, United Artists being what it was in the 1970s. It's generally thought of as being a decade that really gave a lot of power to people like that, to the filmmakers, as opposed to a lot of producers kind of putting their say in and stuff like that. Not saying that that didn't happen, but you know, it's a decade where there was certainly a little bit more freedom in that in that regard, and uh, and that and I and I think that, that 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 But that's one of the that's one of the things that really drew me to a lot of flicks back then.
1: I like it mostly because it's you really have when independence. Films really started to rise. You really did start to have options outside of what the studios had. Yeah. Well, you, you had that in the 50s with the drive in circuit, too. Yes, I, but, I, but the but 70s I, is when it really came into its own. Yeah. And there was well, plenty of it out there and stronger alternative. And Brad, you brought up the new Hollywood. that
0: That's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about. For those that don't know, the new Hollywood was basically, like Brad said, There was more creative freedom, and the studios were losing some of their power. They'd lost a lot of their contract players. All the old like universal vets and whatnot had sort of fallen out of favor. And you had all these up-and-comers like Scorsese and Spielberg and Coppola and basically the entire Roger Corman school. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You had had the Roger Corman school kind of coming up, and they were doing such innovative, different things – and a lot of the movies that you think of when you think of the early '70s that were really unique were not studio films, and, and that was that movement was called the New Hollywood, that they were redefining what Hollywood really was. And in in a way, even though this goes out of our decade, I actually think that the New Hollywood started with Easy Rider in '69.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually I, I was thinking I was thinking the same thing.
0: I mean, technically I it's not the 70s, but but in reality that's the birth of what would become new Hollywood, right?
2: Yeah. With oh. between that between between that, Bonnie and Clyde, stuff like that.
0: And I would even say even though it was a studio picture, Myra Breckinridge
2: my yeah, that's uh, that's a movie I can't believe is a
0: studio picture. Let's put it that way. Well, that's also <laughs> a movie I can't believe exists the way it does. Me either. I mean, w- when I showed that to a friend of mine, he's like, "1970, you say? Th- th- there's no way they got away with this in 1970." And I'm like, "Well, they did." <laughs> you you had that. You did have that new Hollywood movement, and I think th- that's the era of the new Hollywood movement is the era where you started to see, like I said, the studios lose power, and that's where the rise of the big name directors yeah. came out of that era. Because mm-hmm. before that, can you think of a of a real director that really had a stamp, other than maybe a John Ford or, or a, a Todd David. Browning or a couple of other specifics?
1: John Huston,
2: John Huston, David Lean, guys like that.
0: But but we're we're counting on one hand there. You 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 look at the name directors that came out of the 70s, and you're in triple digits, aren't you? Or close to it. To me, th- that was a big difference. The studios actually were less hands-on and seemed to let the directors and the writers
2: make mm-hmm. the
0: movie they wanted to make. Which, that's something that the studios wrangled control back by the 80s, but we'll get to that in another episode.
2: Oh, yeah. Thanks, Chimino. <laughs> <laughs> he did not
0: help that one bit, no. <laughs> He's not the only one, but he didn't. No, he's that. not. He's
2: not. I could also say thanks, Coppola, on that, too.
0: Yeah, uh, Apocalypse. Well, Apocalypse Now was. No, uh, well. what,
2: what, what, no, what was the. What was it? One from the heart. Was that the Coppola one that kind of helped sink the New Hollywood m- movement? I think Apocalypse
0: Now helped start. It started the down slide. Because no, but that actually did well, though. Yeah, but like, all the all the problems that Apocalypse it, it, now brought.
2: Yeah, but it had problems, but that actually did well, which that's which certainly is not the case for one from the heart or heaven's gate.
0: You're not getting an argument out of me on that. (laughs) I can't, I can't argue that. And then the seventies also brought us these little movements. I mean, like we already did an entire black exploitation episode, so I don't want to spend too much time on that, but let's face it. Black exploitation could not have come into its own the way it did in the sixties, nor in the eighties. That was a seventies phenomenon, wasn't
2: it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you had more of these filmmakers really kind of having some free reign on types of movies they wanted to do, whether it was black exploitation, like you said, or most definitely the the vigilante flick. That that
0: was another point I was going to bring up is I'm not even going to call it the vigilante flick as much as the rise of the anti-hero. I think that started '71 with Don Siegel and Dirty Harry.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, that that too. They they those two can really go hand in hand with each other between Dirty Harry and then also something like Death Wish, of course.
1: And then yeah, all the knockoffs that came from both of those too. Well, yeah. During yeah. the um early era and through the 50s and into the 60s, you had the um the censors that code. yeah, the Hays code where the hero always had to win. evil had to be punished or it had
0: to look like there was a downside to being a bad guy for whatever reason and you you also had this was more towards the end of the 70s but you look at a character like ripley in alien Uh that was the first real strong standout female sci-fi hero wasn't it because barbarella was kind of goofy so I don't know how strong Barbara was well, so
2: in a lot of well, Barbarella was also around with that kind of character. That was a lot more sexified than Ellen Ripley. She um, broke
0: the orgasm machine for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, sex. Yeah, yeah, that's an uh, sexified is an understatement there, Jones. Yeah. Well, but then, you, you know, you also had these other movements. We've argued about this in a way previous episode back when Jared was on. Technically, the slasher boom started with Halloween in 78. I actually think it started with Texas Chainsaw back in 74.
2: Well, even before that, uh, you had movies like Black Christmas. You had movies like the, even Psycho's got some elements to it that you would later find in some other slasher films. Halloween is is certainly one that really put that genre on the map. They created um, the
1: formula for the genre.
2: Yeah, even though even though there's... There's certainly movies before Halloween that did very, very similar things, just like, you know, Jaws isn't the first movie of its kind, but it certainly spawned other movies like that. And that's the same with Halloween.
0: Well, speaking of Jaws, the 70s also brought us the era of the blockbuster. Jaws was really the first movie that was that big.
2: Yeah, was it really kind of uh, set the standard for the big summer blockbuster? Yeah,
0: and and it was also the the birth of, I've never liked this term, I've always been uncomfortable with this term, the quote, high concept film, which it it basically, the way I understand it is, you can sum up the entire movie either in a two-line header or the poster itself can tell you exactly
2: what you're getting. I don't think that that's always necessarily a bad thing. Because, uh, do you just not like the term? I don't. I do you... don't like. The, I don't like the sort
0: of the the way like a film like Jaws, which is so much deeper (no pun intended) than than what it would seem like on the surface, is boiled down to two sentences.
2: So that's okay. To me, yeah, it's kind I of mean, an offensive
0: I... term. It's kind of degrading the movie itself.
2: You're, you're you're kind of right on. I mean, it 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 all depends on the movie, but. You're kind of right in that, that, that it sort of degrades it in a sense that it, it makes it seem like it's not that much of a movie, that it just kind of is what it is. Hey, it's, it's just a quick buck to make something cheap. Because yeah, when you think about it, uh, going back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there you go, that title tells you what you need to know. That poster tells you what you need to know. But the, but the, but the the movie's a little more to it than just that. It's a terrifying freaking movie. Yeah,
0: especially because of how it's shot. Yeah, yeah, it, it's exactly. Shot, like a da- shot the same way documentaries of that era were shot.
2: Yeah, so just because something, so yeah, ju- just because something can be described in a couple of sentences, doesn't mean it's bad. It, it, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not a racerhead.
0: <laughs> well, and you also had to speak, you know, with the blockbusters. You had the the most of the blockbusters were were movies that were not designed as such. Like nowadays, when they when they made Transformers, they were banking on that being a blockbuster. You know, they were yeah, banking I'll, on that being a huge movie.
2: Absolutely.
0: When you I mean, even Jaws, they were kind of banking on it being big. I don't think they ever could have seen how big it became
2: or even that it was going to get Oscar nominations.
0: Well, I'd say the same thing for The Exorcist in 73. Yeah. I don't think anybody really saw that movie becoming the cultural icon that it did. But I mean something like Star Wars. That 20th Century Fox didn't back this film at all. And what was the movie that they backed instead? Damnation Alley.
2: Damnation Alley, right. They backed
0: Damnation Alley. They had all their advertising muscle behind Damnation Alley. Magazine ads, newspaper ads, TV spots. They were blanketing the trailers before every other 20th century Fox film. This was their summer blockbuster, and it died. And this little film that they gave no promotion to prior to release literally became the benchmark that the next two decades would still be following.
2: So do you think the 70s really kind of not that the 70s created this but do you think that the 70s also kind of put forth the uh what we generally conceive of as the sleeper hit?
0: I actually do cuz I can't think of like a uh, I can't think of a film from the 60s a studio film cuz I mean mm-hmm. obviously we brought up Easy Rider that was a huge yeah. surprise hit but that wasn't studio. I can't think of a studio film prior to Star Wars that really did become a sleeper hit. That that wasn't thought to prior to that. I can't really I, think of. Well, I, I can. Think I'm of sure Casablanca. there are. Well, I'm sure there's a few, but I off the top of my head, I do think uh, that kind of came into its own in the 70s.
2: Yeah, I would say that it. I I would say that it came into its own in the 70s, sort of like what we were talking about Halloween earlier. Like, yeah, right. I I don't think that 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 was i i'm sure there's several I, i'm positive there's instances before that where something like that has happened whether it was maybe i i don't know whether it was maybe don't look back or the graduate or coogan's bluff or one of those you know maybe something like that i don't know but uh but yeah i i i can certainly agree with that statement much like the summer blockbuster of course that really came into its freaking own in the 1970s more so the, well, more so the 70s more, more so the summer blockbuster than the idea of the sleeper hit but but you know what I mean
0: right well and that you also had and Alex brought this up earlier you had the rise of what we consider the exploitation film now obviously the Corman AIP movies were exploitation films the drive-in uh-huh. flicks good god EGA was an exploitation film really
2: Oh yeah, yeah. But, but well, Herschel Gordon Lewis movies.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Herschel Gordon Lewis. He was kind of the king of pushing the boundaries. And it's yeah. funny when you say that now, how tame his movies
2: are. But his that... movies are still really graphic. I think his movies still hold their own in terms of being really graphic. I don't Dude, know if I. I don't know if I'd consider Blood Feast and Color Me Blood Red to be tame. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, if you did a shot-for-shot remake of Blood Feast, just using traditional special effects instead of the stuff that Herschel Gordon Lewis had at the time, it could be pretty
2: good. He rips a girl's tongue out, and Color Me Blood Red has got the girl with her innards all hanging out, and him using her blood as, like, paint and stuff. He he did some stuff that even today would be, like, would probably be slapped with an (laughs) NC-17 (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. Well, what what I was tr- what I meant was that the 70s kind of the, the exploitation that arose in the 70s seemed to have the ideal of putting down the 60s of going, yeah, the 60s were tame. We are goddamn hardcore. That's the kind I mean like something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that seemed to and I might be reading too much into this to kind of say, "Oh, you thought Psycho was was creepy?" We're gonna totally out creep the hell out of that psycho movie you guys love. That, <laughs> I kind of see that the seventies was the ideal of we're gonna put down the sixties, we're gonna take it out behind the shed and put a bullet in its head, doesn't suffer anymore.
2: Well yeah, even they doing that with the action genre too, with the anti heroes. With the anti heroes we had in the nineteen seventies, whether it be dirty Harry, whether it be Paul Kersey or any of those guys. I think a lot of genres really, really did that. Even a lot of uh, really, really dramatic work, too. We got into some very, very dark material with something like, say, uh, Oh, Badlands or uh, something even like Serpico being a much more realistic, grittier cop movie than you would have seen in some decades prior. Doing it very gritty without without it being classified as, like, a film noir.
0: Yeah, I mean, you always had the rip-off genres, but going back to Star Wars, after Star Wars, that opened up a whole new era of special effects. Yeah. Because just look at, like, Logan's Run, which was the big pre-Star Wars special Mm -hmm. effects movie, and just look how goofy and campy that looks after Star Wars.
2: Well, I think that, I'm still rather impressed by a lot of the effects work in Logan's run. I think that a lot of Logan's run looks a little different because it's a lot more brightly lit than a lot of the stuff in Star Wars. In Star Wars, the sets and everything is a lot more minimalistic than they are. The thing I
0: love the most about Logan's run is you actually get to see Jenny Agutter's tits and the movie's PG.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Back when you could show actual boobs in a PG movie. What was the last... I think the last time... That's actually a relatively good question. When's the last time that happened? Was it Sixteen Candles? That was PG and had tits. But, but yeah, th- that's the other thing. The rating system, in a
0: weird way, was more lenient in the 70s.
2: Is the the, the okay? Okay, yeah. Did uh, PG and R and those come into play in the 70s? Because I've cause even by like when On Her Majesty's Secret Service came out in the late. In the late uh, '60s, I think that was like classified as a GP, and some were classified as an M. I, I think the the modern rating code that we have today was early '70s. Okay. I
0: know it was after *Planet of the Apes*, but I yeah. think before *Dirty Harry*, because *Dirty Harry* is just a straight out R. Yeah. But I think *Planet of the Apes* was, I think *Planet of the Apes* was originally a GP. So that's only like a two-year window. I think. Right around 1970 is where they changed the ratings that, that we have today.
2: And <laughs> Planet of the Apes is, I think right now, it, it's, it's, it's a G rating. Yeah, it uh, is.
0: And with, let's see, you've got a near-rape, you've got lobotomies, you've got Heston's ass through most of the movie, you've got yeah. tons of people being killed, you got swearing. That's not a G-rated movie!
2: <laughs> and they've no, never gone back in.
1: That was back ratings.
2: when we as that was back when we as a nation had balls and you could see them even in a G-rated movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could see you could see Dr. Zayas trying to push Taylor to rape Zero so they could get a more intelligent human.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Rated movie. <laughs> oh hell, when they made Chainsaw Massacre, they were pushing for a PG. I, that's kind of Weird in its
0: own right that they were going. Yeah, we totally think this movie's a PG, and technically, there's hardly any blood in the movie. But I think the
2: tone itself oh, is by, not a PG tone. By far, the tone, by far and away, makes that an R. <laughs> well, and then
0: the 70s also brought us the rise of what I can only call the 70s Huey film. Anything that was a pop culture phenomenon. Got its own movie, whether it was Bigfoot, astral projection, <laughs> UFOs, all that '70s like you know pop culture hooey. Let's that go. they all had their own subgenre in the '70s. You still kind of get that nowadays.
2: You get yeah, but it, it certainly is, we, it, disco too. A lot of disco flicks in the '70s. Oh yeah, I was
0: actually going to bring up the fads as a separate topic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the fads, you know, roller disco, and you you you, you had all the. Didn't the Village People do two movies, or do they only do there, one? There was Village
2: People. Can't Can't stop the music, and uh, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Or, or am I thinking because they were in Sgt. Pepper as well? Oh sure. So maybe I'm thinking of that as a Village People movie.
2: Classic Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees.
0: <laughs> but, but I mean, you you basically you had that the rise of that, especially post Close Encounters. Close yeah. Encounters that broke open the alien abduction subgenre i think and personally i think close encounters besides the first half being pretty goddamn boring is not a bad film
2: close encounters i like close encounters
0: yeah i like it too i'm going to go on record the scene where the aliens take the the little kid from the house that scene's goddamn creepy
2: it is it's really creepy
0: it's still creepy today and especially if you when you find out Watching the behind the scenes, how Spielberg got those kids' reactions—it's actually creepier. Uh huh. <laughs> but so you, you had that. You you had like the, and the Fab movies, and well, the '80s would do that too. Xanadu. <laughs>
2: but uh, I love 80s, Xanadu. That, Xanadu is awesome.
0: I grew up watching that because that was one of my mom's favorite films. So she always had a, vi- a VHS of that. I don't remember if she owned it or taped it off HBO or something.
2: Last time I saw Xanadu, it was last weekend.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it was for you.
2: I had a double feature of that and Die Hard.
0: Why those, those don't go together at all?
2: Because I was, I was with somebody who had never seen Die Hard. Really? Yeah, so I was like, oh, we're watching Die Hard. Were they 14? No, no, I just never saw Die Hard. To me, I love this
0: particular subgenre, but the 70s who subgenre that could only have come out of the 70s was Bigfoot. Bigfoot films I mean brad l- l- let's leave the geek out of it for a moment that was seventies yeah but but uh, will <laughs> we'll talk porno in a minute so l- let's leave let's leave porno out of it for right now you got stuff like Legend of
2: boggy Creek that is legitimately decent that is a decent movie that that is, and I really like what I when I had that on DVD, I like that they kind of had fun with the fact that it's rate again rated G. <laughs> Like the box cover said something like it's G rated horror for the whole family or something (laughs) like that. Like they were really kind of being really tongue in cheek with it, but it is kind of a creepy movie. It has moments that sort of make you jump a little bit when freaking Boggy Creek monster's arm comes through the window and like grabs the girl.
0: Or or, Um, when it's, when it's like uh, the guy's taking the crap and it like throws him through the door.
2: Yeah, and and the even the yell, even the yell that, that uh Bigfoot has in that movie is it it's got some creepy moments. It's it's a decent movie. There there but but there were Bigfoot movies before the seventies.
0: Right, but but this was the first I mean this third Boggy Creek was such a success. It made uh-huh. so much money that summer you saw a dozen Bigfoot movies over the next two or three years.
2: Bigfoot the, the, with John Carradine. Well hell, even uh curse of Bigfoot I think is what it's called which takes a movie from the 50s and adds extra footage from the 70s into it and then just re-released it as another Bigfoot movie it it was awful it was god awful that was I've got a copy of that somewhere that thing's borderline unwatchable well
0: and then you also had The rise of one of our favorite subgenres. And when I say rise, I'm not implying that it wasn't there previous. I'm implying that this is where it grew huge. Yeah. The the big ripoff exploitation Italians. Oh, Mm. yeah. Where the Italians brought all the ripoff exploitation. I mean, post Star Wars, definitely post Dawn of the Dead. I love the ripoff exploitation. And again, to me, Mm -hmm. on the scale that those movies are made, because a lot of them You'd be I mean, the viewers would be surprised to find out just how low the budgets were. Because they got a lot out of their sets and their effects, even if they're kind of oh, laughable. Yeah, they, did. they got uh-huh. a lot more than they paid for. And I don't think that would have been possible in the 60s or even in the 50s to make the same level of borderline low end studio films that people like Lucio Cusi and, and uh, Lucio Fucci and Argento and that were giving us.
2: No, not quite to that level maybe, because they certainly knew how to work with a budget. They certainly knew how to work with a budget. They certainly knew where to point the camera to where in certain cases some of the stuff that some of the ripoff exploitation stuff looked more big budgeted than the movie they were ripping off. There's a movie called uh, oh, uh, it it's it's a rip-off of Last House on the Left and it takes place on a train. I I think it's called like night train murders maybe or something like that but it, it, it's a straight out ripoff of last house on the left and it's 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 an italian flick of course and but it's shot so well and they know how to, to where to point the camera and all these really clever angles that they're using just the widest freaking screen possible on that it's one of those instances where you're looking at it like this looks like it's like Quadruple the budget of the movie it's ripping off, which uh, honestly it probably is.
0: Got all these these rip-off exploitation artists that that came out and basically they, they kind of came into their own while being rip-off artists, if that makes sense. You know, I mean Bruno Matai, yeah. Claudio Claudio Fragasso, like I said, Argento, Fulci. You've got all these people that are real artists. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to say, even if he makes movies that aren't good, that Fulci did not know his shit.
2: Uh, same with Argento, too, yeah. Um, I mean, guys like Fulci and Argento certainly had more to their credit than just simply being rip-off swillitation artists. They had, I, those guys, I think, had way more to their credit than movies like that than, than say, Bruno Mattei's filmography, which is what he was primarily known for. Because guys like, okay, Fulci, you know, people always—we've talked about this before—how a lot of people write off *Zombie* as being a *Dawn of the Dead* rip-off when those movies really. are, abso- are absolutely nothing alike. So those guys I think certainly came into their own as filmmakers around that time. Fulci with a lot of the gore films, Argento certainly with the giallo flicks. Yeah. So those guys I uh, think specialized in that more so than just being than just straight out ripping off of other things.
0: Well and then you also had a new venue. I mean in the 80s you had video, in the 60s the drive-ins kind of started to die off, you know the studios were really co-opting them. The 70s you had the grindhouses. Yeah. You, yeah, you had, had the rise of the grindhouses, which gave... Uh, I mean, a movie like Cannibal Holocaust would never have gotten the wide release it did at a, at a drive-in,
2: uh-huh. but at a
0: grindhouse, not a problem.
1: You also had a lot of the more independently-owned theaters that would would take a chance on something different.
0: Exactly. Aside so you, of you had a new venue for 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 the people who were not studio. Mm-hmm. You You had a new venue that that you didn't have prior because even in the sixties and that it was, I mean, you listen to some of the commentaries by some of these older people that worked on Ed Wood kind of movies. Mm-hmm. And they said making the movie. Wasn't the hard part selling the goddamn thing was the hard part because nobody wanted them in the seventies. You couldn't make these fast enough. You talk to like a, a real grindhouse veteran, like 42nd street Pete,
2: Sure, sure. There was a
0: new one of these every week. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they couldn't book these things fast enough. That I think is a very 70s thing, and that's a very good 70s thing.
2: No, oh, I agree with that. I,
0: I absolutely agree with that. I said we'd talk about it. You had the rise of porno. I mean, yeah, we did. You had, oh, did. Yeah. You had oh, yeah. porno coming out of coming out of the
1: you know the back room loops, and you had real movies uh-huh. being made for porn. And then you had really good movies that happened to have a hardcore scene in it,
2: yes, yeah, you yeah. did it was like but seventies did for that what what you know the early twentieth century there did for- movies with a freaking narrative, you know movie you know taking away from just uh the shorts the uh the real by real stuff, and actually like. Movies with a beginning, middle, end, an actual narrative—they were freaking movies. They had genres, plots, they had you know all of the characters, actors, and, and all this. That's really what the '70s did for, for pornography, which is a good thing, which is a really good thing. Yeah, because to me, a lot of people seem to a lot of
0: people seem to think that that porno is, and a, a yes, as much as a fan as I am of '80s porno a lot of it was that oh my god we can't pay for the pizza i'll just oh, suck yeah. your dick to to get the pizza delivered you know a lot of it did devolve into that yeah and in the 70s because of the the way the laws were written after behind the green door came out they they were charged with obscenity and they were able to the mitchell brothers successfully argued that it's art that that the the three-pronged test for obscenity one of them is no artistic value so that's why in the 70s a lot of these people would put in so much story yeah. that way if they got busted they could say we're making a real movie it's just also got hardcore scenes in it
2: and they look like they were made by real filmmakers yeah you look at the you look at the bob chin stuff he was Absolutely. not a bad director oh no, he's not with stuff like the jade pussycat even um the mitchell brothers with, with behind the green door I think it's a very well-made movie.
0: It could have used a little more story, but yeah, on a on a technical it's, level, it's very well made. On a
2: technical well-made. level, yeah. Story-wise, certainly, but on a technical level, it's a very well-made movie. You, you look at weird stuff
0: like the Satisfiers of Alpha Blue, or I mean, which literally worked the sex into every scene at the same time you actually cared what happened
2: to the characters and why they were having uh-huh. sex. Oh yeah. Some some stuff got really freaking dark too. Like if we're talking stuff like uh like uh Forced Entry and uh, uh freaking uh Forced Entry, I you recommended that to me.
0: I had trouble making it through that, man. That movie, you you weren't lying. That was dark.
2: That's a rough one, dude. Like that one's really rough. Like like holy crap, man. Harry Reems is he's really good in this, but damn. It's hard <laughs> to watch it though. It is really hard to watch that thing. like Especially yeah, was, because in the movie, he's raping these women. Yes. Yeah. It was like freaking, uh, what was that, Hot Summer in the City? The 70s porno that's just about this group of guys who kidnapped this girl, and it's a rape film, and then at the end, there's like a shootout, and throughout the whole thing, it's playing like a sweet 60s soundtrack.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you had stuff like... Uh, I. I I can't remember exactly what it was called. It was the John Holmes Dracula movie, the one that Bill Margold wrote. I, I think it was like uh, L- Lust of the Vampire or something oh, okay. like that. And th- that movie, you would never have gotten away with something like that, even in the 80s. Uh-huh. You would never have gotten away with John Holmes going down on a chick on her period because he's a vampire and needs the blood. That is fantastic. That you is amazing. Th- that, that is a 70s goddamn concept, isn't it?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it's also, In this day and age, it's also an internet concept.
0: Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you are correct. But, <laughs> yeah. but okay. It's called Lust at First Bite, a.k.a. Dracula Sucks. <laughs> Dracula <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> yeah. And it's got John Holmes as Dracula and... It's it's one of those films that you go, I can't get I can't believe they got away with this in the seventies.
2: What about that shit they did with that Coke bottle and Deep Throat.
0: <laughs> well, all of Deep Throat. I mean, that film was tried for obscenity, remember? Oh yeah, of course. And people don't realize that those films could only have come about in the seventies. And without them you wouldn't have the kind of porno you had you have today. And then to move <laughs> off a of porno we brought it up at the beginning of this episode. You had the Roger Corman school. I mean, it wasn't a school, but you—you you look at anybody who made a yeah. movie for Corman in the '70s, mm-hmm. and they're somebody who's famous today, aren't they?
2: Oh, oh so, yeah. Sure. Whether it was Coppola, whether we're talking Jonathan Demi or any of those guys like that. Hell, even. Uh, Robert De Niro. Ja- Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. Dennis yeah. Hopper, yeah. And
0: Roger Corman was almost involved in easy rider he was oh, off- he, really? he was offered easy rider and he turned it down because he didn't see any potential and he said it was the dumbest decision he's ever made in retrospect,
2: but he also did the trip that was pretty good
0: <laughs> he actually took l s d to do the trip so he would know he what did. He
2: was- i saw he that inter- I saw that interview where he was talking about that so where he yeah yeah, where he wanted to know what it was all about, so he took some l s d and then uh didn't they make him slap on like uh, that that ending that was like uh, don't ever do this or you'll be cursed forever or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: The the ending wasn't exactly his. Yeah. <laughs> but but you had you had indies coming out at that time because I'm like you know he'd he'd broken ways with AIP by that point, but AIP was also putting out the only way I can put it the rise of the animals flicks. The the nature strikes back movies like oh, frogs. Sure, sure. Oh yeah, I love that movie. With the exception of it's it's kind of like like Burt Reynolds in Deliverance. Him not uh-huh. having a mustache is so weird to me. Oh, Sam gotcha. Elliott with if, mustache and frogs just freaks me out. What every if time. it's
2: what if it's a Burt Reynolds movie though, where he starts out with a mustache and then shaves it, like, like the longest yard or Shark. Or Shark, yeah, yeah. Shaves in Shark, too. But it's just still,
0: Burt Reynolds doesn't look like Burt Reynolds to me without a mustache. And <laughs> Sam Elliott's the same way in Frogs.
2: You like that with Tom Selleck, too?
0: I don't know if I've ever seen Tom
2: Selleck without a mustache.
1: I don't oh, think yeah, I have either.
2: Really? Yeah, he's he's been without a mustache before.
0: Uh, I, I, can't, I can't picture him without a mustache. There are just certain people, and, you know, like AIP, they just threw those Nature Strikes Back movies out there. Night of the Mm -hmm. Lepus. I don't think Tentacles was AIP, but Tentacles was... You had all the Jaws knockoffs that would still fall into Nature Strikes Back.
2: Did they they do Squirm?
0: They may have done Squirm, which that's not even a good one. That's not even a good Nature Strikes Back movie. There's a worm in my egg cream. (laughs) God. You know what? That movie, I was so looking forward to when Mystery Science Theater did Squirm, and then they cut out half the movie is missing
2: i'm like i was surprised at that because that was uh that was a case where uh i i had seen that movie before i saw the episode too my wife and i caught it on cable yeah yeah and then i'm like oh sweet mystery science Theater's got an episode on squirm i sit down to watch it and was really surprised when the first Half hour or so was a short. Now, granted, I that short was great because that was the uh, the,
1: that's the spring short, isn't
2: it? It is. It's coily. Your springs? Yeah, yeah. It's freaking coily, and that's great. But I'm surprised they did that with Squirm because Squirm is like a 90 minute movie. Yeah, and they cut they cut almost every death scene out. They
0: cut almost every every worm attack out. I didn't understand that either. I'm like, you're basic. You're not even the TV version. Had more in it than the Mystery Science Theater
2: version did for whatever reason. I never understood why they cut the film the way they did. Maybe they just didn't think they could get an, you know, you know, it could it could be an easy enough explanation that maybe they just didn't think they could get that much material out of it. Maybe possible, you know, uh, maybe they just felt like to cut it down. Maybe they, that they'd have an easier time getting some 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 uh, ripping material out of it. Hey, who knows? Uh, I mean, I liked the I liked the riffing that was in it. I, I certainly did, and the short was great. That's the Coily, the freaking spring. That that's awesome. That's that is an awesome short. But yeah, yeah. Usually, when you see something like that, it's 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 quite often when it's a movie that's like 60 minutes long,
0: and, and they're basically padding runtime. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, let's get back to the 70s, not mystery science theater.
2: How well, about but, like uh uh. Um, how are you? one of my favorite one of my favorite titles in terms of nature run amuck is the one that's just simply called.
0: Oh, s- s- with w- yeah. Reb Brown getting killed in the shower by a snake. <laughs> Reb Brown gets killed in the shower by a snake in one of his really early roles, and you get to see the original Starbucks slowly devolve into a snake.
2: I almost did that on.
0: Movie. The...
2: It is that's very fun. Struther Martin, right? isn't either. I think so. Isn't I think that that's
0: Struther Martin. Yeah.
2: Um that was what... I came really close to doing that as a snob one time. Forgot but I forgot that Red Brown was in it.
0: So yeah, Spoonie might do that at some point.
2: Yeah, so I was kind of like, "Oh, I can't. I can't touch this." I don't want to I don't want to touch this. It's kinda, even though it's rather briefly. It's I was going to say Red
0: Brown's in. got 10, 15 minutes of screen time. Maybe he's barely in the movie.
2: Yeah. He can have, even though he's only in it for like 15 minutes. He can have it's red brown. He can have that one.
0: (laughs) But a but a lot of those nature run amok movies or nature gets revenge movies are better than they should be. Like Tentacles is a legitimately good movie. Empire Uh, of the Ants, it's not bad at all. Frogs is surprisingly good. I'm that way
2: too with uh, Grizzly. Grizzly is
0: a damn good. I mean, technically, Grizzly is Jaws in the
2: woods. But it's it's really well done. It's totally Jaws in the Woods. And like you said, it's way better than it has any right to be. It's rare that you would see that now. Where you would find, nowadays, where you would find a, let's say, okay, a killer freaking bear movie that's direct to video that's kind of ripping off Jaws. You know what? Odds are it's not going to be as good as Grizzly was in the 1970s. Odds are it's not going to look as good. It's not going to be as well acted. And the violence isn't going to be nearly as good.
0: Well, and we we need to bring this up, too, because that reminded me. You've got the rise. I mean, he was around before, but Dino, Dino De Laurentiis, the yeah.
2: greatest, the greatest producer of all time. King Kong 76. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. I shouldn't, but I do. That, again, again, an, a movie that's, in my opinion, way better than it's ever given credit for, and also way better than it has any right to be.
0: Brad, when monkey die, audience cry.
2: Mm-hmm, damn right. I and gr-
0: the other, the other great Dino '70s movie, Orca. <laughs> Orca's awesome because yeah, I, it is, and that movie's great. The when the 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 mom whale miscarries.
2: That's that, graphic as hell. That is graphic and one of the most disturbing freaking scenes in any movie ever. Yeah, is, is, just... is that scene? Orcas, Orcas. Oh my god, I, geez, I, I, look away whenever that scene comes on. But uh, else you uh that you see that's...
0: an orca blow up a power plant on land so he can eat Bo Derek's leg? Yes.
2: Yeah. Orcas great <laughs> because it's the nature. It's seriously the nature run amok movie crossed with a revenge movie. It's a revenge movie. That movie it is, is a revenge movie done with freaking Orca, but it plays it so it plays it's, it. it none like of it's it, tongue in cheek. It's all it's straight. Tongue, it's it's played straight. It's not tongue in cheek, and it does it well and believable. Like I buy it. I totally buy it in that movie. That that that's getting freaking revenge on those people. Like I'm I'm freaking along with that movie. Like that did that so freaking well. That's that's an awesome and hard to watch movie.
0: <laughs> well, and, and you know Dino, you know I mean we'll be talking more about Dino when we do with the 80s episode, but Dino had a style to the way he produced. It was weirdly enough kind of what Cannon tried to do in the 80s, which again we'll get to next week. He he kind of had a, an Italian rip-off exploitation style on a major budget. Yeah, that's, that's what why, um... you could call a Dino De Laurentiis film.
2: Absolutely.
0: But like on the heels of Jaws, like I pointed out with tentacles, the movie is not even really a Jaws ripoff other than, you know, small coastal town terrorized by undersea monster. This time it's an octopus and the octopus isn't even really the focus. The chemical company poisoning the octopus is the focus. And it's more of a it's really more of an investigation thriller with John Houston as a newspaper reporter looking into Henry Fonda's chemical plant just happens to have cutaways to an octopus killing people. Yeah. It's not really a Jaws ripoff, but you watch the trailer, and it certainly was sold as one. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, and you had, like I said, Empire of the Ants. Way but Or Phase 4. Good God. I, I believe the way Spoonie put it to me when we did that on Midnight was, this is one of the most purely original science fiction ideas I've ever seen. He's not wrong. Phase four is, but it's it's so 70s, but at the same time, it is so unique. Uh huh. Anyone that hasn't seen Phase Four, you should, which you can find at geekjuicemedia.com under it came from me on midnight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not watching it there.
0: Of course you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, there are things like that that, and when I say could only be in the 70s, I mean that. Because, like, ni- you know, even 90s computer technology. What the ants do wouldn't work. That movie had to be set in the 1970s. And I think that's the problem most remakes of 70s movies forget. These movies were a product of their time. Such as, like, like have you seen Patrick?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And Patrick still lives.
0: Well, Patrick just got remade. It did? Yeah! yeah it, it comes out this, this summer.
2: The hell, I knew that. <laughs> I've
0: been ranting about it on Facebook.
2: But, that's how uh, I learned about it. Actually.
0: Yeah, but but Patrick has been remade, and I really do, and it's set in 2013, and I just I don't think that movie can work quite as well with security cameras and cell phones and tweeting, uh-huh. and that movie needs to be set in the goddamn 70s, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, unless they can find some way to work around that.
0: So <laughs> that's why it's like that's the problem. I mean, technically this is 80s, but like prom night, these movies. Like a movie like Prom Night really needs to be set in 1980. It really does.
2: Would you feel that way about any slasher film now?
0: No, no. Or just there specifically? Are, there, are
2: certain, there are certain ones,
0: sickeningly enough, most of the ones that are now being remade are the ones that I feel needed to be kept in their original time frame. If you're going to remake them, set them in their time frame. As yeah. much as I hated Rob Zombie's Halloween,
2: uh-huh.
0: I like that the first third of it actually took place in the 70s.
2: Well, it uh, well, as much as I I hate not, that film, it, but honestly, it it kind it really kind of didn't actually. It he made he didn't he didn't specify what year it was, but he also with kind of how some people were dressed in it and even some of the soundtrack choices sort of made it feel like it was in the 70s, but when you look at the age of Laurie Strode and also the fact that the scenes in the present are in the present, so like two thousand, two thousand nine, two thousand,
0: no, two thousand seven that came
2: out. Two thousand, so two thousand seven. It's it's not that that first half doesn't take place in the seventies. It it wants it kind of wants you to think it does. But I I
0: I liked the the feel of it of the first third. Just the movie.
2: I did. I did. Yeah. I don't get me wrong. I I did too. I I did kind of like the feel of that because it did it did feel like it was taking place in the seventies, even though I I guess it wasn't. <laughs>
0: it, it, it's another one of the, one of your famous uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D rants.
2: The they, the difference between the two is that what Rob Zombie did with that Halloween was just just kind of with certain editing tricks and camera choices and whatnot kind of made it feel like it was the 70s even though he never said it was whereas chainsaw 3d that's a straight out plot hole
0: okay well and then before we wrap up also one of and brad you and i've talked about him numerous times one of our favorite filmmakers i know alex is a huge fan of his as well really came into his i mean he started in the 70s but i think his best work was from the 70s and that's john carpenter Assault on Precinct 13 is an amazing
2: film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. He carried some great freaking work into the 80s, too. Some of my favorites of his were also in the 80s. I
0: I actually, I think my favorites of his, I'll I'll go with Prince of Darkness and They Live, like we talked about in that retrospective, but also Assault on Precinct 13 and Dark Star. I think Dark Star is just brilliant for literally having, all. I mean, they were they funded. They shot that movie over years because they had no money.
2: Oh yeah, uh-huh. and that
0: movie's hilarious. Mm-hmm. People like John Carpenter come out in the '70s, and I don't think even in the '80s he would have been given the opportunities to make something like Dark Star or to make something like Precinct Thirteen.
2: Oh, and look at also in that regard too. Look at David Lynch with Eraserhead in the late 1970s. Another movie like Dark Star that was made over the course of a few years.
0: Yeah, I can't see Eraserhead having been made in the 60s or the 80s. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a late 70s film. Well, when it came out, or even Evil Dead, that was started in 79.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: 78 yeah. that was started.
2: I specifically, I I. I think I, don't they, know.
0: I think it took them like three or four years to finish Evil Dead. But mm. but that even when it came out in the 80s, it has a 70s feel to it, doesn't it? Uh huh.
2: You know, I mean, he, it has a late '70s, early '80s feel to it. I can see, I can see both in there. That's because it was made over both. Because it was made over both, and, <laughs> and and it's true. But but like, but, but at the same time, like <laughs> when you get those kind of runoff years between the decades and whatnot, you know, <laughs> something that was made in 1981 does look like it could also have been made in 1979.
0: Yeah, w- w- when you're in that that tight little window where. Yeah. Change wasn't as fast as like when you go from 1971 to 1981. You go 79 to 81. Eh, the styles didn't change because you know. Let's be uh, fair. Friday the 13th kind of feels 70s.
2: Yeah, and also it does. While also feel it while also something from 1979 might feel like it's 1980 or 81. Alien. <laughs> Alien yeah. doesn't really feel 70s. Alien feels 80s. Sure, I can see that. But I mean I can but at the same time it it's not like it's it's not like alien is something that appears like it's stuck in either decade, like it's a product of either decade. No, no, well, not not at all. But yeah, you could you could have told somebody maybe that like, hey, this was made in nineteen eighty three or hey, this was made in nineteen seventy nine and
0: So Alright, we need to wrap it up. Next week we'll be tackling the nineteen eighties. And I think I'm going to have a lot more fun on that one, because I love the 80s. As much as I love the 70s, I love the 80s even more.
1: And I know the 80s I'm with you on that, dude. I know them better than the 70s.
0: So where can we find Marquis de Suede? GeekJuiceMedia.com Where can we find Mr. Jones?
2: Thecinemasnob.com
0: And you can find me, 1201beyond.com and 1201beyond at gmail.com to contact us. And tune in next week for the 80s.
2: From the sky on a magical night. And in the colors of a thousand sunsets, they traveled to the world on a silvery light. The people of the earth stood waiting, watching as the ships came one by one. Setting fire to the sky as they lay the a Carrying to the world, children of the sun
0: Children of the
2: sun All at once came a sound from the inside Then a the beam made a light hit the ground
0: imagination through
2: the door to the world of another time and on the journey of a thousand lifetimes with the children of the sun